Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And today we are having a conversation with a beautiful witch named Danielle Dulski. Danielle is an author. She's a heathen visionary, painter, and a word witch. She's the author of Season of Moon and Flame, Women Most Wild, and The Holy Wild. She teaches internationally and has facilitated circles, embodiment trainings, communal spell work, and seasonal rituals since 2007. She is also the founder of the Hag School and believes in the emerging power of the wild collectives and sudden circles of curious dreamers, cunning witches, and rebellious artists in healing our ailing world. And so what we talk about today is her book that is called Seasons of Moon and Flame. And it's a book that's all about the journey of becoming. And she also recently published a beautiful oracle deck called Sacred Hags Oracle. It's a visionary guidance for dreamers, witches, and wild hearts. So here that is, Sacred Hags Oracle. If you want to learn more about Danielle, her books, her oracle deck, or even join her hag school, you can visit her website, daniellodulski.com. You can also follow her on Instagram at Wolf Woman Witch. So that is all for now. I hope that you enjoy this interview and I will see you on the other side. Okay, everyone, welcome to Reiki Radio. Today we have a special guest, Danielle Dusky who is an author, a witch, a teacher, a visionary, and I'm very excited to have this conversation with her today, sharing her work with the community. So Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Yolanda. Very happy to be here. I'm very excited to speak to you because um, just like I was telling you a moment ago, your work is so beautiful and it's um, so full. And I really genuinely was like, where do I even start with her and what I want to ask her? Um, I read your book, The Seasons of Moon and Flame. And then I also have the Sacred Hags Oracle, which is a beautiful deck. And so I want to talk Thank to you, you about your work. But before we get into mm -hmm. it, I have some foundational questions for you. <laughs> so first yeah. of all, how did you even get into the work that you share now? That's a good question. I was a yoga teacher for a, a while, which was sort of my socially acceptable way of holding rituals <laughs> for other people. Um, so I taught my first yoga class when I was 16 years old to my high school gym class. Um, and then I did that uh, like in order to uh, pay my way through college really up until I was 30. Um, when I was 25, I was living in Florida. So I'm from Pennsylvania, but I was living in Florida. And I found my first coven, belonged to my first coven, which was a very strange and not particularly pleasant experience <laughs> all the time. Um, but I started practicing witchcraft and continued to practice witchcraft. But I, because of this great wounding that I had with my first coven, I decided I was never going to tell anybody that I was a witch and I was just going to kind of keep it 
a secret. And when I moved back here from Florida, I was getting divorced and my life was burning down. And I found this great, very different and accepting community and started teaching. So my teaching of witchcraft really didn't start until I moved back to Pennsylvania when I was around 30 years old. And I'm 41 now. So it's been an 11 year journey of kind of seeing how much I could get away with (laughs) what people were actually interested in instead of what was just my thing. So, so that's the teaching witchcraft and then writing I've been doing for as long as I can remember. I wrote really terrible novels in my twenties that never got published, which is good because they (laughs) weren't very good. Um, And then, you know, word witchery is what I call the writing that I use in my spellcraft. So that's something that, um, that I started sharing with other people and have been for about 10 years. Well, it's interesting. So you have a few different things I want to ask you about just to clarify, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I know growing up when people heard the word witch, they thought something very specific. And nowadays, um, when someone says they're a witch, that could really mean a variation of things. It's not necessarily specific to what they practice. So could you just explain for people in your point of view, like, what does that even mean? And then what is it for you personally? Right? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that a witch is anybody who beats both of two conditions. <laughs> I think that a witch is somebody who, first of all, identifies themselves as a witch. That you know they've yeah. claimed that name for themselves. Um, and then the second condition is that they do actually practice witchcraft. Now that can mean any number of things, but right. I do think you have to practice some form of witchcraft in order to be a witch. Um, So for me, that's primarily, but not only spell work that um, my entire mother line is Irish. So it comes, my practice comes largely from the Irish tradition. Um, But, you know, Starhawk who wrote the first book on witchcraft that I ever hid under my bed, (laughs) the spiral dance um, in the seventies says that witchcraft has always been a religion of poetry and not theology. And I think that that's such a great description because it is witchcraft is something that's beautiful. You know, being a witch is something that has a lot of beauty tied to it. Other things also, but I think it has to stay intriguing. Otherwise we don't do it. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my take on it. I know everybody's a witch these days. And I think that that's a good thing. I do think that that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, some well, sort of witchcraft should be involved. <laughs> well, even with that, like when you hear the word witchcraft, again, it's something a lot of people may not necessarily associate with, um, communing with and working with nature and these types of things. Like a lot of people, again, may have And of course, depending on who says they're a witch, their practice could be a multitude of things. But can you also share a little bit about the importance of being in relationship with nature as it relates to um, the practice? Yeah, yeah, I think that that is at the heart of it. You know, the witches have always been activists and it's really hard to claim on working with the energies that we work with in our spells if you know you don't feel a deep kinship with the elements or you kind of feel like you're maybe like a 
a sovereign manipulator of the energies <laughs> or something instead of actually belonging to this world. Um, so yeah, I think that that is absolutely at the heart of it. To, to me, witchcraft, just for me, witchcraft is more of an art than a practice that necessarily needs to involve deity. For me, it does involve deity, but it's first and foremost an art. And that art requires that we be in participation with, with nature all the time, you know, that yeah. we acknowledge that we are sovereign, but we're sovereign in this collective. And that's the reason our magic works is because we're saying, I can do this because I am this instead of, you know, I'm isolated from it. I'm just going to use it for my own savage purposes yeah. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I know you did mention in the book, um, there, I, first of all, I just want to say your writing is so beautiful. It is so poetic. And initially, I downloaded the audiobook and it was so just beautiful that I was like, there's no way I can take this in, interview wise because you yeah. said so many things that were so beautiful. So then I bought the hard copy as well. But just for everyone listening, I mean, it is unbelievable the way that you write. It's really, really gorgeous. But you did mention in there that, you know, um, our magic is stronger together and woven throughout what you've shared. Mm -hmm. It does seem like this, this call for us to awaken individually for the benefit of the collective. Right. So again, I don't know that a lot of people would necessarily associate that with someone who is a witch or practices witchcraft. So can right. you talk about that as well? Like the importance of like the, the, maybe spell work isn't necessarily just what we would associate it with, but mm. the benefit of our own awakening, our own um, reclaiming of the self, mm. how this benefits all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does seem to be kind, kind of a, this strange unspoken of rite of passage that a lot of witches go through, which is, similar to my story where they they do look for a teacher and they join a coven and they learn all these things but then there is this necessary um and sometimes it doesn't have to be catalyzed by this great wounding like mine was but there is this necessary kind of removal from that in order to figure out what your own solitary practice is um and then maybe there's a there's a re-entry into community or coven but there is this like this strange and common experience of just needing to remove yourself a little bit in order to really hone your own discipline, which won't look like anybody else's. And that's the thing that, that's the moment, I think, that, even though it can be a many years long moment, where you realize that it is about your own individual awakening, like you said, and, you know, I said that, you know, a lot of people identify as witches, which is which is one of those great words that's moving toward the center from the fringes. You know, it used right. to be like this really bitter word, and now it's so palatable that, like, you know, you can read it all the time. <laughs> you can read it all over the place. Every movie has witches in it, right? Um, and that that's a good thing. That that's the signal that there is some kind of awakening happening. I think and. You know, it's not perfect and everybody's kind of doing it differently, but it is this coming home to what your own spiritual practice might be 
whether there's a religion involved or not, because there might be, but but it's about you know learning that you are constantly in participation with the wilds, um, and therefore must preserve and save them. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know this is kind of do or die time. Yes, and that's the thing too. I thought the beauty of your book, I would say, in a lot of ways. Once I got to the end, I was like, well, this book is kind of like a school in of itself. And I do want to talk to you about what you teach so people know they can actually train with you and you have different types of programs, which we'll get into. But the book, um, Seasons of Moon and Flame, um, it has even in the subtitle, This Journey of Becoming. And I, in reading it, I was just, you know, from the end of a reader, I was like, oh, wow, it really was like a school in of itself where um, it seemed like this, this beautiful lesson of how we can use the mirroring of seasons and then the seasons within seasons right. to go through our own journey of awakening, but with like with reverence and very intentional and bringing in these different practices. So I wanted to ask you, who is this book for in your point of view? What even motivated you to write this book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Seasons of Moon and Flame, I feel like is the the one book that I wrote. So I have I wrote two others before that. And then the Oracle deck came after Seasons of Moon and Flame. But Seasons of Moon and Flame is the one book out of the other ones that I've written that I do feel like is for everyone. Uh, I don't think that you even need to identify as a witch or, you know, you know, sometimes people look at witchcraft like it's just this other thing to do and they don't have time. And and that's true. <laughs> it is a thing that you have to do. There is like a, an element of discipline to it, but it doesn't have to be hard. You know, it, it's a lot of it is being able to see that your your own inner rhythms really do mirror the rhythms of nature and they do already so so a lot of at least the beginning steps of witchcraft are about just noticing what's already there for you um and that's what i was hoping to prompt people toward in seasons of moon and flame is just kind of this you know like just pay pay attention like the the, the introduction i talk about my relationship with my grandmother who was not a witch and would probably she died in 2015 but i'm sure she would be mortified that <laughs> I included her in my witchcraft book, um, maybe proud and mortified at the same time, but for the most part, mortified. Um, and yet, you know, I built the whole structure of Seasons of Moon and Flame around that, where when I would go visit her um, after her husband, my grandfather died, we had this real rhythm to our visits where she would kind of, you know, feed me something always. And then we'd be sitting down and playing cards and she'd say something. It was like really sharp, like a challenge. Like I call it the bite in the book. You know, there'd be something that was really like, what are you doing with your life anyway? Right. <laughs> and then, and then after that, she'd sort of give me the integration, like not necessarily a tie it up in a bow, but there was a softening to it that made me feel like I could, carry on um and so you know that experience is relatively mundane you know visiting my grandmother she feeds me we have a conversation but that is such a mirror to the moons and it's something that you know i've really noticed in my practice like the first moon of any season is kind of a nourishing moon you know like the the wind's colder or the snow's finally falling or something like that it was the first warm day 
that's the nourishment. And then like that second moon of every season is always gnarly. <laughs> it's always like, I'm here now. <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to do something with this. And then the last moon is sort of the transitional integration moon. So I think I prompt the reader to look at like, you have these seemingly mundane experiences like visiting your grandmother that really have a lot of magic in them. If you you know, just give them a little bit of a poetic eye. Um, the magic is always there. So, so yeah, I hope that Seasons of Moon and Flame is for, is for everyone. I tried to be like, just as inclusive as possible. Yeah. I mean, I don't practice witchcraft. So for mm -hmm. someone who doesn't, I, and yeah. from what I got from the book, I would absolutely say it's for everyone, but that was very beautiful too. Again, like highlighting the beauty of the seasons themselves, but then also, again, the seasons within the seasons looking at the moon cycles. Right. So, I mean, the, the detail that you give is beautiful, but the storytelling and just the way you write, I'm telling you, I, every <laughs> time I talk about you in the book, um, leading up to the interview, that's why I tell everyone, I'm like, she's so poetic. It's just amazing. So I think this book would be um, beautiful for anyone who wants to be very intentional in their process of um, like ritual and self-connection and really looking at their own cycles. So I wanted to ask you two things, one about the hag, of course, but could you also talk to the significance of um, living silically or what the circle, even casting circles and witchcraft and these types of things, the significance of that? Yeah, um, I, I kind of came to this understanding, not my understanding, I'm sure there's lots of people that have thought of this before, but when I started looking at the solar year as really mirroring the moon cycle or vice versa. So, you know, the, the full moon is very like the summer solstice of the, of the month, right? It's sort of like this peak high fire time. And so when we come up on full moons, you know, like we are and it's summer, like that's a really, really high fire manifestation time. So the full moon would be like manifestation magic time. Um, and so that can be summer or that can be any full moon of the year. Um, the waning moon cycle is very like autumn. And that's the time of maybe banishing magic or protection magic or the just looking at what what what's wasting your time and your money yes. <laughs> right? to make decisions of what needs to go um and you know uh and then divination would be like winter which is just sort of looking at the omens and your weird dreams that you're having and trying to figure that out uh scrying if that's in your practice so that would be like the dark moon and winter and then spring is kind of the waxing moon so that's really great for healing magic and early manifestation magic um so so i started looking at you know, at that you know that it really is there is sense there 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 is kind of a pattern there that's cosmic and that exists far beyond me so there would be a reason why you know the pagans in the 1700s or 1800s were talking about like the cycles of the moon and when to do manifestation magic and when to do divination like that the pattern is kind of there and natural um 
So, so in terms of living cyclically, then like we can all see in our lives that we have these periods of descent and darkness and wounding that would be like a what waning dark moon time. Then we have these cycles where everything's great <laughs> and we're on the rise, right? Which would be like a manifestation time. Um, and then we have those, those, the two endpoints, which to me are the hardest, which is like the void time where there's nothing leaving you. There's nothing coming in. It's just empty, right? Which would be like around winter solstice. So we have that in our lives. Then we have these times like summer solstice where we're just supposed to sit in the fruition of everything that we've created and be grateful. And that's hard too. <laughs> Right. So I started looking at, you know, everything through that lens, like what if the cycles of the moon and the sun, they have a pattern that almost gives you uh, uh, almost like a storyboard for your life. Right. Um, And so therefore we would all be connected. Not everybody's descent or rising is the same, but we all have these woundings and, and healings. So so yeah, to me, living cyclically is just sort of looking like everything dies to begin again, everything begins and it's going to die. And just to kind of befriend that constant ebb and flow. You know, it's interesting hearing you say that it makes me think of um, the gift of having that type of awareness, acceptance and intentionality with yourself, because I mean, whether you, you know, practice um, anything similar to what you practice, whether you consider yourself a witch, this, that, or the third, I mean, we're all creating all the time, right? I mean, we're all um, uh, making things happen in our life. We can be resisting those seasons that are very important and making it more challenging for ourselves. So again, you know, just hearing you share what you did, it it made me think of what you wrote in the book and really embracing the changes that we go through and the cycles that we go through, um, not not sugarcoating and saying that any of them are easy, but seeing the gift and even the the challenges that lie within that. So I want to ask you about the Hag. So one, first of all, you have the Hag School, and people can again come and learn with you, study with you um, in so many different beautiful ways. But in the book, you reference also the hag. And it seems um, not just the archetype of a hag in general, but the, the characteristics broken down within that archetype and kind of divided out by the, the seasons. So could you first share with everyone, um, what is the hag? Mm-hmm. And do we all have one? <laughs> <laughs> I so um, yeah, you know, the, the hag is an archetype. So, so archetypal energy is really strong and sharp. And I do feel like it is, I, I personally feel, and people would definitely disagree with me on this, but I feel like the archetypes are really like tiny gods. You know, they are like these little bubbles of energy, maybe not little, but they are these bubbles of energy that can be communed with and worked with. So the hag is an archetype that we can find in any number of fairy tales and folk tales and usually cast in a not so sweet role. Um, and But always, the, no matter what culture, like always the hag is kind of on the fringes, right? And whether she's been put there or gone there autonomously, but she's always there. She's just like on the edge. And so 
you know, when I was saying that the word witch used to be on the fringes and it's kind of moved toward the middle, the hag is still to me on the fringes. <laughs> so as a writer, I'm always interested in the words that are like, just not palatable yet. You know, the words that are still like, just a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and the hag is one of those words. So, so the hag is a medicine keeper who lives on the fringes and um, has been historically socially shunned. Um, and that's why we see in a lot of folk tales where the hag is sort of used as the, you know, as the villain, like don't go in the woods or the hag's gonna eat you. Um, but, but, you know, the folk tales were sort of used to convey social conventions. So if we go back a little bit farther than that, then the hag's kind of like this cool teacher, right? Um, like the elder teacher. And so does everyone have a hag? I, I don't know that everyone has a hag. Um, but I think everyone should have, have a hag. <laughs> and if you don't have a, an actual living hag, then you can, you know, you can you can derive that archetypal energy. It doesn't have to be from a folktale. We can see it in our Netflix series. <laughs> we yes. have we have hags there. So you can always let the hag archetype be a teacher. You just have to kind of do a little digging sometimes if you don't have a real life hag. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, I mean, um, even I guess in the way the, 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 the different faces of the hag is described in your book, like looking at the seasons and, you know, the desert hag and the sea hag and what the seasons um, present for us, but the, the, the wisdom of these um, hags as well. I mean, it sounds kind of like they are like that, just the elders, they're the wisdom keepers that aren't trying to be conventional or uh box themselves into social like she's wild like she's just honest and in your face type of energy yeah 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 right exactly there's this great book um called trickster makes the world um i think lewis hyde is the author but he's talking about the trickster archetype and he says that like, as soon as the trickster moves toward the middle, as soon as the trickster starts to be like the focus of attention and everybody's like into it, then it's not the trickster anymore. That the trickster like by nature has to kind of be on the edges and sort of like be, you know, influencing things that are toward the center, but stays a little bit removed. And the hag to me is similar, you know, like as soon as she would move toward the center, that's not really where she wants to be. Um, yeah, because there's so much magic in not being seen. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> well, I thought it was really cool because it reminded me in some ways of um, astrology, for example. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm an Aquarius sun, but I have a Pisces moon. And when I found that out, I was like, Pisces, ew. I, would, I did not want to embrace it because in my mind, the, the association I had with it in my mind, right? And yeah. then once I was able to see it in a different way I could really appreciate and embrace this aspect of me instead of trying to right. reject it or hide from it and all of yeah. these different things so I'm reading your book that's what it also reminded me of like really looking at and unearthing like these different characteristics that we may have buried yeah. away but right. seeing how they really do support us right right exactly yeah, I felt the same way. I'm also an Aquarius sun, but I have an Aries moon. Oh, and I okay. felt the same way about <laughs> Aries because my dad was an Aries. And I was like, 
I don't want to be that. I don't want to have that angry <laughs> but I do. I mean, I did anyway before I knew I was an Aries moon. So yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's it. it. So so in that way, the hag is kind of like the shadow. You know, like yes. she encompasses a lot of what's not seen, and yet it's there and influencing things anyway. And in a lot of ways is a power source. So, yeah. Well, I want to ask you about, because even speaking about that archetype, you do have what I mentioned, the Hag School. And I just want everyone to know this book, Seasons of Moon and Flame. I will have the links to that down in the show uh, description. I really do recommend. It's it's a beautiful read. Um, And I actually want to go through the journey throughout the year for myself and just see what that process is like because it it, it is written as like this um this uh experience of self-initiation right mm-hmm. and you right. go through this entire year uh yeah so I'm very excited to see what that will be like to even use the practices that you speak about in the book and um what that will bring up but so you do have the hag school mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you uh, what the Hag School is, mm-hmm. what people learn in this space, and is it only in person, or can people sign up for virtual as well? Mm-hmm. Yes. So the Hag School started in my brain and the brain of some of my friends in like December of 2019. No, I'm sorry, December of 2018. So it was early winter 2019 when we started creating these things. And so the 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 original incarnation of the Hag School was in-person programs um, with not just me, but a few of my friends who just have, we all have different pieces of the puzzle. Um, And then 2020 happened and a lot of what was going to begin in winter of 2020 was moved online. So, so now it's sort of this strange, like there there are a lot, it's probably more offerings exist online than in person, but we are trying to get a little bit back to real life and being able to see people and see people's faces um so so yeah so we have the the flame tender untraining which was the first program in the hag school and so that is kind of hybrid so it's online most of the time but then we are meeting for the first time in person in two weeks mm-hmm. and that's going to be so exciting <laughs> real people around a fire um and then we have uh we have three different collectives so the people that don't want to go for the big things um we meet monthly so there's an online coven and then there's um like an online body prayer group the hive of the holy wild flesh where we just get together and do these strange online move moving rituals and then we do a little bit of writing then um and then i have some writing classes through the hag school that are seasonal um and then I have a witchcraft apprenticeship through the Hag School. So those are the big things. Um, but for the most part, still, people can choose whether they want to do things in person or online. Okay. So if people um, are interested and they're like, yes, I want to learn what this woman does. I want to work with Danielle. Do they already have to have a practice established or can they come in as like a novice? Yes. 
Yeah, either way. A lot of times it's better if they don't have an established practice for the apprenticeship. Um, for the flame tender training, that is like a facilitator training. So it is helpful to have held space for other people and have an existing um you know, spiritual discipline of some kind, but right. for the most part, no, you don't need to have uh, any seasoned background. Okay. Yeah. So mm -hmm. just open for everyone. And I wanted to ask you about that too, because you mentioned in there that you offer writing and you uh, mentioned um, working with the body. And so that's another big part of your work. So I, I remember reading um, this may have been on your website, but you spoke about the body being like a living altar mm -hmm. and the importance of not just, you know, being in this body, but the words that we speak, how we move the body, just everything that we do being mm -hmm. in this form. So could you talk a little bit about that, like how the body is a living altar, what that means, but why these other pieces matter so much? Yeah. Um... You know, I believe that if you practice witchcraft enough, you get to a point where you don't need anything. Like you don't need the pendulums and the wands and the crystal. You don't need all of those things. They're nice and they're they're good tools, but you should be in the be able to be in the middle of the woods without any of your things and cast a spell, um, and because you always have your body. Um, and so even those with with very limited mobility, like even the breath can be a bot, a single breath can be a body prayer, right? So, you know, you always, you always have the body. Um, and, and yeah, your, your inner altar, I usually say that it kind of exists at the base of the sternum. And so, you know, if you don't have your altars and I'm surrounded by all of my altars right now, but if I don't have them, if I'm traveling or something, I always have this, right? So I can envision you know, the inner flame or, or whatever I want on the in, inside of my rib cage, right? Yes. So yeah, so, so the body and, and uh, being a vehicle for raising energy that you, you always want to do that in a spell. Um, and the way I was trained in it was just so static and like, maybe we would chant, but there wasn't a lot of movement. And you know, so so being in a group of people where everybody's body praying and witnessing each other in that way is just such a powerful, powerful thing that, you know, there's there's no denying that like that is the essence of spellcraft is just, yeah, yeah being with a group of people. Um, yeah, and then writing. So writing's often, you know, like a, a waist up kind of thing. But I always tell my writing students to try to move as much as possible, especially if they're working with like hag energy or any archetype, because archetypal energy always wants to move. And so when we're sitting very static and we're just kind of typing on our computer, it's going to get stuck. And then like our dreams are going to get weird or <laughs> something <laughs> is going to happen. And so you have to keep moving. Yeah. And like, I like that you mentioned to even write our own um, like mantras, prayers, spells, chants, whatever it may be. And um, I wanted to ask you about that. I think that's a beautiful way because a lot of times we think we have to just memorize certain things, but it may not necessarily resonate with us. So then how powerful or impactful is it if we don't feel like a kinship to what we're saying or doing? Right. So could you talk about that and how that comes into your work? How do people, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's Swami Vivekananda says that it's good to be born in a church, but it's bad to die in one. So, you know, we learn the incantations and we learn, you know, the verses or how to call the corners or whatever it is that we learned in the beginning. And then, you know, we have those rules so that we can break them. Um, and, you know, so I do think that that having that foundation is important, but yes, eventually, you know, that, that spark of, um, uh, that, you know, that mystical spark of magic that you might have when you're calling the directions for the first time, you lose that if you use the same words every time. And so, you know, um, I usually um, let memories kind of be the muse. And so if I'm facing one of the directions and I find myself in a memory from childhood or whatever, then I'll let that inspire whatever words I might speak. And so in that way, it can't become rote and boring because it's gonna be different every time. And it's born from my own experience. So of course I'm interested in it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. You even mentioned that in the book, actually going through that exercise of, yeah. yeah, with the directions and then seeing what the season brings up for you personally, the memory tied yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to make sure because I, I don't want to um, lose time on this. Your new deck, Sacred Hags Oracle, I was telling you before, but everyone in the background, um, someone that I know, they, they were tagging me. And I think it may have been related to the deck, but so when I clicked on the profile and saw your work, I was like, oh my goodness, I have to interview this woman. I hope that I get an opportunity, but it's such a beautiful deck and um, the artwork is beautiful, everything. But what made it different to me is the book includes rituals and poetry, and then you have like different writing prompts for people. So I wanted to ask you about that why you designed the oracle in the this particular way and what is your hope in terms of like how it's worked with mm -hmm. yeah um i i had wanted to do an oracle deck forever and um you, you, so it was a long brew time that i was mm -hmm. thinking about all of the things that i wanted to put in there um because i personally use oracle decks a lot not just for divination but also for writing and inspiration and yeah all sorts of weird things and so i wanted to have a deck that was pretty versatile in that way so it wasn't just a you know pull a card when you're feeling sad or whatever <laughs> it would have like a range of of possible uses and so um, I wanted to have a deck that writers could use if they were looking for, you know, inspiration in that way, or even just like a, a, a journaling muse deck. Um, and I wanted to have one that would make the, probably my primary goal was like, can the querent or the reader feel that their own story is relevant? Um, you know, so can the cards spark memories? And then really it's more about the memories being Oracle cards than you know, whatever image might be on there, right? Yeah. Um, so that was what I wanted, but yeah. And, and so then I was like, but then I have to have rituals too. And I have to have prompts too. <laughs> so I was trying to see how much I could squeeze onto you know, the two page description of every card, but it was relatively successful. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a very beautiful deck, but that part I found to be very unique because a lot of times with Oracle decks, like you have the definition of the card, but definitely not the other detail um, that you've included and um, even the spells and the ritual component, you know, was very unique to a 
Oracle deck. So it has 56 cards and a, a guidebook. And like I said, I mean, it's beautiful. I have my deck in California, but this one is still in plastic because I bought another deck while I was here so I could show <laughs> it to everyone. And I don't want to open it because I'm going to gift it. So I just want everyone to know as well, the Sacred Hags Oracle is going to be um, the link for it. It will be available in the show description as well. Great. So yeah, one last thing I wanted to ask you, Danielle, um, before we go with all that's going on in the world, um, a lot that is, I guess, shaking a lot of us to be d- daring enough to wake up, so to speak, or, you know, caught like kind of pushing people into a space of maybe I have to do things differently. And a lot of people finding themselves um, seeking out this type of information or feeling called and drawn to these types of practices. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people that are in those spaces of something's changing, something's stirring in me? Mm. Um, And even in relation to maybe what that was like for you? Yeah. Um, I think that my, my, my go-to initial advice is to look at what, what magic probably not witchcraft, but maybe, but what magic already exists in your world. And in, if you know about your ancestral lines, what magic would already be there. My big awakening was when I was 18 and I, there was no spiritual quest involved. I just couldn't get out of my parents' house fast enough. And I moved to Ireland and I lived there for six months and I was able to really feel like, like, oh, this is the magic that's in my blood, right? I wasn't training in anything when I was there or anything, but, um, and quite the opposite, <laughs> I was, was unlearning a lot of things. Um, but, you know, that th- that was sort of a great reclamation for me. And I know that a lot of people's initial reaction is always like, I have nothing, I have nothing magical in my, <laughs> in my lineages, but we do. If you, if you go back far enough, everybody comes from an earth-based tradition. So it just takes like some intentional digging. And so my, my go-to advice is like, just don't try to seek too much out that's completely external from what you already have, because you already have a lot. Um, We've just kind of been tricked away from it um, over the past 500 to thousand years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you do, I just want to point out as well, I mean, you do highlight and put a lot of emphasis on, um, you are mm, very embracing of diversity in your work. And so I just want to make sure people listening are clear, like, although you mentioned that your background has like a Celtic um, flavor to it, and that comes across in your work and in your witchcraft, despite anyone's background, they Mm -hmm. can still work with you and it would still be just as impactful. Yeah. 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 I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty good at distinguishing, you know, like which tradition this comes from and, um, you know, if it's always in anything I do, whatever program it is, it's always, everything is an invitation. So if something's not yours, like just leave it out. Um, cause that's the, that's the way of it. You know, you, you, you have something that's yours. Let's figure out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am so thankful that you took the time to come and have this conversation. 
I think it's going to pique a lot of people's curiosity. Um, one, I just loved the boldness of even just the hag school. I mean, that genuinely, just like you said, the word itself was so shocking. And I thought like, wow, <laughs> who is this woman? Let me see what is her work about the hag school. So I hope everyone will check you out. Um, we can go to your website, daniellodulski.com. And um, on Instagram, you're a wild wolf woman. Wolf woman, witch. Wolf woman, witch. Wolf mm-hmm. woman, witch on Instagram although you have a couple of accounts, but I will put all of that down in the show description. Be sure to check out the Sacred Hags Oracle. Um, this is, I think, just similar even to the book. It's a great way of us learning more about ourselves and building or um, creating more of an intentional practice. But the sacred, um, um, not the sacred, the Hag School mm-hmm. is also open for enrollment for 2022. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. And some things are ongoing. Okay, so perfect. So go to Danielle's website. Be sure to read um, Seasons of Moon and Flame. It really is a beautiful book, beautifully written, and I'm sure you'll love it. So that is all for today. I thank you all for being here. And thank you again, Danielle. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, I just want to thank Danielle again for coming and sharing her work for bringing some more insight and clarity around what it means to be a witch for her personally, but also having some understanding around words that can be very shocking to us that may have negative connotation for some, such as the hag. I can't tell you, I mentioned in the podcast itself, but genuinely her writing is so beautiful. And Seasons of the Moon and Flame is a beautiful guide that can support you in a process of self-initiation by following the energies and the lessons of each hag of each season. And then within each season, you also will have guidance around the um, phases of the moon. So again, it is called Seasons of Moon and Flame. It's a journey of becoming. The link to the book is down in the show description. If you are one that loves Oracle and this type of guidance, her Oracle deck is called Sacred Hags Oracle. And if you are in the alchemy circle, you will have an opportunity to win this copy of the deck. I haven't opened it yet, but you will get more details around that. So I thank you all for being here as always. If you have anything that you would like to share with me, always feel free to contact me through my website, theenergeticalchemist.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Reiki Radio. And be sure, of course, to check out Danielle Dulski and her work. If you want to learn more about her writings, her offerings, or even enroll in her school, go to DanielleDulski.com or follow her on Instagram at Wolf Woman Witch. All of that is down below. So I will see you all very, very soon. Remember to always journey in love.